0: reading from genesis chapter 2 verses 18 to 23 and that's on page 5 in the church bible that's genesis two, eighteen to 23 and um, the lord god said it is not good for the man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him now the lord god had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air he brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature that was its name So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out from the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man.
1: I'm reading from First Corinthians, verse eleven chapter eleven to verse two to sixteen. It's page one one five two. I read. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding me to the teachings, just as I passed them unto you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head coverage is honest, his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her head cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her head cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image of glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. It is proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered. Does not the very nature of things Teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. But that if a woman has hair long, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be confused about this, we have no other practice nor do the churches of God. Amen.
2: Thank you, Odette, and thank you, Kate. Please keep your Bibles open at 1 Corinthians 11. As we said, we're starting a new series in Corinthians, which is all about the church. So as we gather together, as we are right now, um, what should it look like? What should the practice be? How should we behave towards one another? And we start with the very easy topic of men and women. Anybody else want to do it? Well, we need to pray, so let's pray together. Blessed are you, O God, King of the Universe, for not making me a woman. Amen. (laughs) Are you shocked? Well, that was the morning prayer for every Jewish man at the local synagogue. They simply believed that to be a man was, well, to be superior. In fact men would not even accept the testimony of a woman. Listen to the Jewish historian Josephus, who was writing in the first century. This is what he says. But let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex, since it is probable that they may not speak truth, either out of hope of gain or fear of punishment. You see, in religious life and in social life, women were treated as inferior. Women couldn't sit with men and women couldn't talk with men. So if this was a synagogue back in those times, the women would all be over here and the men would all be over there. But slowly that thinking changed. As people were liberated by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel taught us that, well, women and men were equal in value and worth. In fact, as men and women, as they came to faith in Christ, so they gathered together in worship. Church was not a place of segregation like the synagogue was, where men gave thanks to God that they were not a woman. But it was a gathering where men and women together served one another, prayed for one another. Look how the church is described in chapter 12, verse 12. It was really radical and revolutionary for the time. Chapter 12, verse 12. The body, so it's speaking about the physical body, is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, so head, hands, arms, legs, and so forth. And though all its parts are many, they form just one body. So it is with Christ. That is, the people of Christ, the church. For we were all, that is, men and women, baptised by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all men and women, given the one spirit to drink. So through faith in Christ, men and women are one in Christ. But this new gospel liberation was causing some confusion within the church. Rightly so, women welcomed this new equality. But it seems as if some of the women in the church were saying, well, there's actually now no difference between men and women. We can do whatever the men do. We can have the same roles and responsibilities. There's actually no difference anymore. Now this explains this very strange issue that we've just read in 1 Corinthians 11 about women having to cover their heads when they gathered as church and about men not having a covering on their heads. And it's very strange because as I look out there's actually one man with a head covering and no women with any coverings. So that goes to show how strange it is For us today. Look at verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonours his head. That is dishonours Christ. Verse 5. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head, her husband. It is just as though her head were shaved. It's really not an easy text to understand, and if you are to read the commentaries and the books out there, there's all kinds of explanations. And there's a confusion as to what the covering actually was. It could be that women, most likely the wives within the church, had to wear some sort of shawl which would cover their head. Or, on the other hand, that they simply had to wear their long hair, which they probably all did have long hair, and they would tie it up onto their heads. That was the covering. But the issue for us is not to get bogged down in what kind of covering it was, but what the covering meant or what the covering symbolised. And we're given a clue as to what that is in verse 10. Have a look at verse 10. For this reason... And because of the angels, another confusing part, which we'll get back to, so just park that one for now. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head.
1: In other words,
2: when women wore a covering on their head, they were actually saying, yes, there is a difference between men. And women, Not just physically and biologically, but in who we are as people, our roles and our responsibilities. And this was especially true if you were a married woman. A covering on your head was a sign that you were under the authority of your husband. So by not wearing a covering, some women in the church were saying... There's no difference between men and women.
1: Husbands and
2: wives, we all have the same role. We're all the same. Now, it's very strange for us to hear that. And so just to try and picture it here now, if you could imagine, we're back in Corinth in the first century. Here we are gathered together. We've understood something of the gospel. So, yes, there's men and women and we're all mingled in together. That was a good thing. Now, if you were a wife, you would also wear a head covering as a sign and a symbol to say, yes, you're married and that you took your husband's role seriously. But some of the women were saying, ah, let's ditch this head covering. Not going to bother with that anymore. Don't need to wear that. We're the same. Some, perhaps, we're going a step further and having their hair shaved off altogether, as if to say, there is absolutely no difference. So there was some confusion within the life of the church. Now, let me say this, that this is not a sermon to enforce head coverings for women, or that men are going to be barred if they wear a hat on a Sunday morning. There are denominations and churches that do insist on those sorts of things. I think they've actually got it wrong. That's not what this text is about. Cultures are different from the first century to what they are today. They do change over time. And the symbolism to say that men and women were different may be different today. But one thing that has not changed from first century Corinth to 20th century Carigaline is that God's order and design for men and women does not change. So we mightn't have an issue with head coverings, but our culture is telling us more and more that there is no difference between men and women. So we have now what we call gender-neutral schools where teachers do not refer to the children as he and she, but simply as friend. One principal said this, I want to change things in society. In my world, there is no girl's world and there is no boy's world. And of course, it's very common for people to state their identity as gender fluid, a gender that transitions between male and female. So it's no longer Mother's Day, and Father's Day, but Parents' Day. In fact, leading sociologists tell us that the difference between men and women is not based on nature, but are are historically constructed and socially reproduced. In other words, it's our environment, it's, it's how we were raised that makes us who we are. Now I realise that that's a very deep subject and there's many children and adults who struggle with gender identity and simply ignoring the issue isn't going to help. They need the church's compassion and support. However, God's order and design for men and women does not change. Men and women are different and that difference is to be celebrated within the church, whether we wear a covering on our head or not. So how are we to understand this subject, the relationship between men and women, when we gather together as we are right now? Well, we're going to look at three big ideas. Here's the first one. Women and men are equal. Look at verse 3. Now I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman or the wife is man or husband and the head of Christ is God. Now headship is all about authority. Well you see Where's the equality in that, Johnny? It sounds very chauvinistic of you to say the head of woman is man. You're not going to grow the church by saying things like that. Not very popular or modern. Well, let me say three brief things in response to that. First of all, we are all under authority. Men are under the authority of Christ. Under the rule of Christ. And Christ is under God. So all of us, men, women, we are all in some way or another under authority. Second, this is primarily addressed to those who are married. It's a little bit technical, but in verse 3 when it talks about uh, the head of the woman is man, it's the same word for wife Husband. So in a married relationship, the husband is the head of the wife. Not that every man is head over every woman. Third, we need to understand that when we're talking about head, which is all about authority, it's not about oppression, but headship is about provision and protection. So as head, it is the husband who takes the lead in caring for his wife, taking responsibility for decisions. It is his role, his primary role, to give all that she needs. In response, it is the wife who supports her husband, who submits to his role as leader. So headship does not mean the husband demands his rights and sits in his fine chair and issues out orders. It's quite the opposite. The husband as head surrenders his rights for the good and the well-being of his wife. He is not to abuse that role, but to use that role in sacrificial service, caring for his wife. So, there is an order between men and women, but, and here's the point, there is still equality. So look what it says at the end of verse 3. It says there that the head of Christ is God. You see, Christ himself was under the authority of his Father. But still there was equality between the Son and the Father. So on the one hand, Jesus could say this in John chapter 10. He could say, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus readily accepted that he was there to do the will of the Father. He was under the authority of his Father. But at the same time, Jesus could equally say this, I and the Father are one. So Jesus has equality with the Father. Now this relationship between Jesus and the Father should be reflected in the relationship between husband and wife. There is an order, but there is equality. So that means that within the life of the church, man should not look down at the woman in superiority. And the woman should not be looking up to man with inferiority. Both are equally loved and treasured before one another and both are equally valued and treasured before God. So first, let's get that stone in place. Men and women are equal. The second big idea is this, that within the context of church life, women and men are different. It's only going to get more complicated. Look at verse 7. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman, well, she is the glory of man. Now when I read that to Kirsty, She said, Johnny, I don't want to be your glory. (laughs) And I can sympathise. I can sympathise. It's a difficult one, isn't it, when we read things like this? It's hard for us to understand. But remember back to Genesis and the Garden of Eden. Remember how things unfolded there. God made the man first. And he gave him a specific role. He was to care for the garden. He was to look after it, maintain it. He was to give names to all the animals. In other words, he was to rule over creation as God commanded. And in doing this, man in effect was reflecting or displaying God's glory as he fulfilled what God had called him to do. Now this task of looking after the land and ruling creation was huge. The world was a big place. So it was no wonder that God said, in Genesis 2 verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. In other words, and perhaps we know this already, man can't do things alone. He can't do this work of ruling on his own. He needs help. This isn't about loneliness, in effect, that he's got nobody to talk to. Primarily, it's about he needs help. He can't do the work alone. So God created woman. He caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and from the man created woman. So look what we read in verse 8 of chapter 11. For man, it's, it's, it's really quoting back from Genesis 2. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman created for man. So God created woman for the man for the specific purpose to support him and help him in his role and responsibility. And in this way, Woman is reflecting or displaying her husband's glory. And that's not a low calling. That is a high calling. It's not a mean task in the help of ruling all creation. So the encouragement here was not to try and say we're all the same. He's saying, no, we're different in our roles and responsibilities. And a woman shouldn't resist this calling, but submit to it as part of God's good order and God's good design for life. In fact, this special calling of the wife actually places her above the angels. Have a look at verse 10. That's where we come to that strange phrase in verse 10. For this reason... And because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Back in chapter 6, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 3, we're told there that the believers, the people of God, would one day have to judge the angels. So, the woman, by living out her role, the wife, given her role and responsibility, is not a low position, but a high position. It's one that places her above the angels, because one day we will have to judge the angels. So, this is by no means a demeaning position. But back to what our main point is we're to see that each of us has a different role or task that God has given us. To the man, essentially, it was the responsibility of caring and ruling over all creation, not least in his leadership within family life and his care for his wife, his responsibility to teach his children. And to the woman... Well, the responsibility of supporting and coming alongside her husband and submitting to him in his task and in his role. So when God gave Adam a wife, he gave him someone who was like him, but someone who was different. Different physically, different sexually, different emotionally. He gave Adam a companion, a suitable helper, a designed person specifically to help. This was God's good order and God's good design for man and woman. So within the context of the church and in family life, women and men are different. And third. Women and men are complementary. Now while we're to celebrate our difference, women and men live and work in partnership together. So look at verse 11. Look at chapter 11, verse 11. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. So while we are different, we do actually need each other. We're dependent on each other. And if any of you thinks you can live without the opposite sex, well look at verse 12. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. Just even at a very basic biological sense, men are dependent on women. We cannot be without women and Well, women cannot be without men. But everything comes from God. There's a leveler for every single one of us. Our source is ultimately God. But, as part of God's design, we are interdependent upon one another. And that means, as men and women, whether you're a man or a woman, we actually complement each other. Just as Adam and Eve complemented each other in the garden, so men and women complement each other within the life of the church. In fact, both men and women are equally gifted. As we'll see in the coming weeks, God gifts every single person to serve one another and build the church up. So look at chapter 12, verse 7 for a minute. Chapter 12, verse 7. Now to each one, that is, men and women, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, and to another, whether men and women, the message of knowledge, and so on. So it is not man's role to keep women in their place and to stop them from serving. If we are to understand the gospel and scripture correctly, it's actually quite the opposite. The church is to be a gathering where women are encouraged and equipped to serve. And that means that women within the life of the church can do a whole lot more than just make cakes and coffee. In fact, the context of chapter 11 implies that both men and women should pray and prophesy. Have a look at verse 4, chapter 11. Every man who prays or prophesies. Or verse 5. Every woman who prays or prophesies. So, it's quite clear, isn't it? Men and women, we are to pray for each other when we join together in our home groups, Men should pray for women and women should pray for men. And you should prophesy to each other. Now we'll get on to that in more detail as we go through the studies. But primarily it means we are to be speaking God's word into each other's lives. Women speaking God's word to men and men speaking God's word to women. And it seems to me That women should be served, should be encouraged to serve in every area of life in the church that men have, except in the role of elder and the primary teaching role, which we'll come to in chapter 14. But I see no reason as I read through scripture and as I study this passage here, that there's no reason why women cannot, for example, lead the service on a Sunday morning, or have some role or responsibility in teaching, or praying publicly. If the church is to function as God intends, then women and men must serve together. This is God's good order and God's good design for his church family. So how do you accept this teaching? It's not easy, is it? There's some things that trouble us, some things that don't sit well with us. Well, have a look at verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered, in other words, is it all right for a woman, especially a married woman, to act as if there's no difference between men or women, that husband and wife equally have the same roles and we can do the same things? Verse 14. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? Glory. I mean, we just need to acknowledge what nature teaches. Nature itself teaches us that men are women and different. In that context, it was obvious what a woman was. A woman was, well, she had long hair and a man had short hair. And to some extent, that's kind of what it's like today. It's different, but we can tell the difference. And we shouldn't, therefore, confuse God's good order and God's good design. Men are men and women are women. Verse 16. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, well, we have no other practice. And nor do the churches of God. This is not some peculiar practice to carry a line. Something that we've kind of just pulled out of the air and think, that sounds good, we like that idea. No, this is God's design and order for every Church. For every single person, man and woman, who seeks to submit ultimately to the authority of God's word and what he has to say. So let's be clear in what we're saying this morning. There is no place for male superiority within the church. And there is no place for female inferiority within the church. Through faith in Christ, we are one in Christ. Equally loved, equally treasured, equally valued. And together as men and women, we celebrate our diversity. We submit to God's good design and order for both man and woman. We recognise our roles and we take those roles seriously. And together... We partner one another for the building up and the growing of his church as we all use our gifts and complement each other so that together we become the church that God calls us to be, reaching out into the community in which we live and building one another up in the faith. So, equality diversity, and complementarity. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you for your word. We recognise that sometimes it is hard, it's confusing and difficult. And so we especially pray, Father, that you would, by your Spirit, help us to apply practically to our time and our day the things that we have learned this morning. We thank you for every person here, for men and women, for boys and girls, for your good order and good design for life. And we pray that together as your people we would serve one another with the gifts that you have given to us, supporting and encouraging and building one another up. Father, we pray for husbands here today that they we would take our roles seriously, that we would care, protect, provide, that we would nurture our wives, that we would give to them all that they need so that they flourish in every way as they should, growing in Christ more and more. Help us if we have children, that as husbands we would teach our children what it is to follow the Lord Jesus and that by our lives we would demonstrate what it is to live under the authority of Christ. And we pray for wives here today. We thank you for them. Thank you for their gifting. For their roles, for their care of children. And we pray that to each one you will give all that they need as they seek to support and help and assist their husbands in all that they do. Father, build us and grow us as a church, we pray, that we would together give glory and honor to you, reflecting your good design in every way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together a song which I trust brings together some of the, the, thing, the themes and, that we've been looking at this morning. Men of faith, rise up and sing. Rise up, women of the truth so together we come as god's people equally loved and treasured to bring praise and honor to him as we serve together let's stand as we sing